This week, uh, we're launching a new series uh, on uh, the book of Acts. Actually, it's a new emphasis on the book of Acts that will take us through Easter of next year. But we're launching a new series that will be the first of multiple series uh, through the book of Acts. It's a series called The School of Acts. Uh, the artwork is put together um, <clears throat> by some of our staff. It's kind of based on the theme uh, from the School of Rock type stuff. Uh, our 412 student ministry, they actually have some cool shirts that they're selling up there that talk about the School of Acts. Um, uh, that the hope is, is that over the coming weeks, we will, we'll be able to introduce you to some of the major subjects uh, in the book of Acts, which will then lead to how we explore the book of Acts throughout the rest of the next several months. Um, in school, you have a number of subjects from geography to history, language arts, math, chemistry, uh, and we're going to be taking uh, those subjects but showing how they show up in the kingdom of God. We'll look at the history of the kingdom as it's in, in Acts, chemistry of the kingdom, uh, the language of the kingdom, geography of the kingdom, and the list goes on and on to help us see how we can uh, experience what God is still doing, the story that's still continuing to unfold uh, that we see uh, unfold in even the book of Acts. And uh, some of you might be wondering why. Why Acts? Why now? Uh, with everything going on in the world, why would this be the place we look uh, over the coming weeks? Uh, and those are great questions. And I think to answer them, I want to give you a little bit of history about Acts itself, because I think you'll see why and uh, why now. Luke wrote uh, the book of Acts. Luke records these events that span uh, about 30 33 years of the early life of the church, people as they were striving to continue the work of Jesus in this world. He records these historical events for us. Luke records those even while being himself a part of that world. He travels with Paul on these journeys. He sees these cities that Paul goes to. He understands how the world in which the gospel is spreading, the good news about Jesus is spreading, the work of Jesus is continuing. He understands how that world is a world that's marked by increasing hostility towards the way of Jesus. He knows that that world, as he's traveled to these cities, as he's seen these people, as he's seen even disciples of Jesus stand firm in a difficult culture, uh, he, he knows what it looks like for the rip current of culture to like pull, to pull at people who are trying to be closer and nearer and to reflect the heart of God. But, but a culture that just oftentimes presents temptations and uh, opportunities to sin, to give into sensual pleasure, to take our hearts further from the God we should be following. He knows what all of that looks like. And so he tells this story of how God's work continued, how the simple, countercultural, revolutionary, life-changing way of Jesus continued even in the midst of difficult circumstances. And so why act? Why now? Because we know that we live in a world, we live in a society that is increasingly more hostile towards the way of Jesus. Uh, a culture that many times uh, has this rip current that, that threatens to pull us out to the sea of our own sinful indulgence or, or sensual pleasures, to feed the appetites of pleasure that are at war within us. 
And, and how can we be encouraged that as we commit to the simple, countercultural, revolutionary, life-changing way of Jesus, that, that we might ourselves be changed and we might be a part of changing the world. And that's why Acts and why now. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the chance to to just share uh, your words with people. Uh, God, I am reminded time and time again of really what is the humility of preaching. Um, You just let me say what you've already said. Um, The power is in your words. The the power is in your son. Uh, The power is not in me uh, or any carefully crafted statements. It's in your word, in your truth. God, would you guide us into that today, in the weeks and months ahead? Would you help us see how we can live for your simple way today? Would you help us to live selfless lives that resemble that of your son? Would you help us to resist those places where we're tempted to move towards selfishness or our own advancement or our own appetites? Um, Our world is hurting. God, our world is in need of your peace. Father, not just the absence of conflict, but Father, the true shalom, the true wholeness, the true peace that comes from you that's made possible through Jesus. God, our, our world needs purpose. Uh, our world needs unity. Our world needs a hope that outlasts the gadgets and the experiences of today and tomorrow. And Father, would you call us into that? Would you equip us to live that way? Would you encourage us and strengthen us? And Father, I pray that for those that don't yet know you, who have yet to align their hearts and their priorities and their ambitions around you and your incredible purposes and your son, that you would draw them into that in the coming months. That Father, we would look back six, seven months from now, that we would be changed, that you will have been honored, and that we'll see how we are shaping and bringing your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we we pray this with boldness. We pray this believing that you'll answer. We pray this in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. So as we start thinking about the school of Acts, uh, when you go to school, one of the first things you have to do before you ever sit through an English class, before you ever sit through a math class, before you ever learn about social studies or government or anything, uh, you often have to go through an orientation. 
uh, whether it's taking your child to preschool, kindergarten, middle school, a new school, high school, college, often you have to sit through an orientation because there's a lot that your student and there's a lot probably that you as a parent need to know. They want you to get acclimated, introduced, to be aware uh, of what is coming, to help you see how this connects to where you've been. And uh, an orientation is a huge part of that. And so the first subject we're going to look at is not really even a subject. It's an orientation. Uh, We just went through two orientations, or our kids just went through two orientations in the last few months. Our son is now in Knoxville, Tennessee at Johnson University. We took him down for something called the Royal Welcome in July, which was an orientation where he got to meet some of his future classmates. He got to learn about what uh, college requires and how there probably should be some study involved in the midst of all the other things. Uh, We took him down again a couple days early. Uh, before um, the, the school year started for everyone in mid, mid-August, and he was oriented more to some other things. Parents, we had, we had orientation meetings as well. Uh, they tried to tell us two different times about financial aid, which I still don't completely understand. Uh, that's about as confusing as everything. Um, but uh, but, but we, we had orientation meetings. Our oldest son, uh, he went through orientation in his place of employment, uh, talking about the company's values and their purpose and their policies and kind of his place in that all to help him set, get set up for success. And so we've watched them go through these orientations to help them get acclimated to be able to be successful. And here's the beauty. Uh, in the book of Acts, uh, Luke gives us an orientation. He spends the first 14 verses of this historical record of God's people, of God's continuing work, the continuing work of Jesus in his people, by giving us an introduction in Acts chapter 1, an orientation that kind of helps set the stage for many other things we'll discover over the next several weeks and months. So if you have your Bibles, find Acts chapter 1. Uh, Whether it's a hard copy like I have or a digital version, I'd encourage you to follow along there. We do have the verses, most of them on the screen, uh, which are there intentionally for those of you who maybe have trouble with your eyesight or um, maybe don't have a Bible or this is new to you. Uh, But I have to continue to remind you sometimes and myself that there's really no substitute for discovering these things in the Word for ourselves we grow more familiar with the pages. We grow familiar with the app. We, we're able to dissect and, and, and get more of his word as we use it ourselves. So Acts chapter one, um, we begin, I'm looking at just the first couple of verses to start where uh, Luke kind of tells us where we've been, which will help set the stage for where we are and where we're going. Acts one, verses one and two, uh, he writes, in my former book, Theophilus, uh, it's a name, uh, has a meaning, it means friend of God, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Uh, so, So Luke begins by saying, in my former book, Theophilus, here's what I tried to do. I hoped to introduce you to what Jesus began to do and to teach up until the time when he ascended to heaven. Why are these verses important? Because they help us see who wrote uh, this book of Acts. And I keep saying Luke. You'll notice that Luke's name doesn't show up anywhere, but this first verse gives us um, the bulk of the evidence that helps us know that Luke wrote this book. If you were to rewind to Luke chapter 1, You would see in Luke chapter 1 that Luke writes about um, wanting to give an orderly account, that he investigated things clearly because he wanted to write this for Theophilus 
that he could have certainty about the things that he had heard and that he had been taught. So Luke chapter 1 begins by sharing with us that it was written to Theophilus. And now here is a second book, and he says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So if you read Luke's gospel, it's all about what Jesus began to do and teach. You're like, hey, this must be the same guy, but if that's not enough, if you look at the very last chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 24, you'll see that it ends by Jesus being taken up into heaven. And that's exactly what the writer of Acts tells us, that in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions to to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles he had chosen. And so he tells us, like, this is where we've been. Um, this is Luke, that he had this desire with the gospel of Luke to introduce people to who Jesus was, what Jesus did, what the response to Jesus should be, what Jesus began to do and to teach up until he ascended. But that's not enough to convince you that Luke is the writer of Acts. I would submit these things to you that come from outside of Scripture, if you're a curious person, if you're, you want evidence beyond that, do you know that in the second century, the early part of the second century, so after 100 AD, uh, there was a man named Irenaeus, or some pronounce his name uh, Irenaeus, uh, who was an early church father. And in his books, one called Heresies, he actually says uh, that Luke wrote the book of Acts. Um, another man named Clement of Alexandria in Egypt wrote that book, that book wrote the Luke of Acts. No, that Luke wrote the book of Acts. Tertullian, another African early church father, wrote that Luke wrote the book of Acts. So here are these extra biblical outside of the Bible resources that confirm the very same things in the few decades that follow Luke actually pinning these words. And so Luke, this one who traveled with Paul, who would have seen the world, has heard from eyewitnesses about who Jesus is. So he writes that to tell people, this Jesus changed everything. You got to get to know him. And then he writes the second book to say, oh, and by the way, as we continue to follow him, this is the type of stuff that he wants to do in the world. This is the stuff that he has done and he's continuing to do it. So, so, the, so the early verses kind of orient us to who Luke is and what his goals are in even writing the book of Acts. Verses three through five kind of serve as a, a transition for us. He says, after his suffering, Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one of those occasions, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, so Luke not only tells us this is where we've been, and he says, okay, let me give you a little bit of new information. You know I've written to you about Jesus, what he began to do and to teach up until he ascended to heaven, but there's more that Jesus appeared to his followers over a period of 40 days. It's the first time we kind of hear that timeline. So Jesus rises from the dead, and for 40 days, he makes many appearances to his disciples. Many convincing proofs is what Luke shares. Uh, we, we know from Luke's gospel, this is the road to Emmaus. Uh, this, is, this is Jesus coming into the upper room and revealing himself to the disciples and to the women. We know from other gospels, this is Jesus uh, meeting his disciples on the beach for breakfast and restoring Peter. Uh, these are some of those convincing proofs, but Luke says, let me tell you about one of these occasions that you haven't heard about yet. 
He says on one occasion, this is verse five, that, that Jesus, verse four, Jesus was gathered in, the, in a space and he was eating and dining with his disciples. Now we don't know where this space was. Uh, it may have been on the Mount of Olives because of what follows, or it could have been sometime prior to that. They could have been at some local dive in Jerusalem, their favorite restaurant. They had the best burgers, uh, the best sides. And so they're enjoying this meal together with one another. And while they're having this meal, Jesus gives them some peculiar instructions. He says, guys, here's something I need you to know. I, I just, I want you to wait. Like just wait here in Jerusalem. And I imagine the disciples kind of leaning in like, what? Like, why are we gonna wait, Jesus? And he sees the look on their face and he says, well, because my father's gonna to give you a gift. Really? Like, what, what gift, Jesus? Well, the gift we've already talked about. And in case they need to know what that gift is, he tells them in verse five, for John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has these disciples. They're a captive audience. They're enjoying this meal. Hey, guys, I want you to hang out in Jerusalem and wait. Wait for my Father to give you the gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you were a Jewish man sitting across the table from Jesus, in this moment, your heart would have leapt with excitement and anticipation. Why? Because you would have grown up hearing throughout your life the words of the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Ezekiel and the prophet Jeremiah, among others, who would talk about a future day when God would pour out his spirit on his people. And that day when God would pour out his spirit on his people was the day they would look to, was the day when Israel would be restored, like, like God's kingdom would really come, like, like their national borders would be restored, uh, he would rule on the throne. It, it would be basically their experience of heaven, like all things would be made new, all wrongs would be righted. It would be their moment. And so Jesus in this dinner conversation says, hey guys, guess what's coming? Now, we don't know if in this moment they asked Jesus the next question or if it was later, but at some point, they end up at the Mount of Olives and they asked Jesus this question in verse six. They gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? There are those prophecies coming back, right? God will pour out his spirit from on high. God will pour out his spirit. His sons and daughters will, will prophesy, uh, Joel will say, and write on behalf of God. So, so, so Jesus is the time now. You said the spirit's coming. So does that mean that all things are made new? Like we can, we can look for the fulfillment of everything. Like, like heaven is coming to earth. And look at Jesus' response. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. Hey guys, listen, don't get caught up in what the end is gonna be like. Like It's not for you to know the fullness of my plans. Don't, don't try to figure all of that out. Instead of trying to figure out my plans, why don't you recognize my power? Look at verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, so Luke has just told us, we, I taught you everything Jesus began to do and teach before he ascended to heaven. And but there's this one conversation that 
that the reader needs to be aware of that took place in a place in Jerusalem. Jesus said that a gift was coming, wait in Jerusalem for it. That gift is the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit does not inaugurate the final end of all things. That's not for them to know. But what is for them to know is that that moment when God pours out his spirit, he will be equipping and enabling and encouraging his people to carry on the work that began in Jesus, the continuing work of God. He says, you will receive power the Holy Spirit of God, the same Spirit that lived in Christ, the same Spirit Paul will later tell us that helped raise him from the dead will come and to live inside of them. And what will that Spirit do? What will that, that gift of the Spirit do? It will enable them to be his witnesses. They will tell people what they've seen and what they've heard, and they will do it there in Jerusalem, but they will do it beyond. They will do it in the region of Judea and then the, the, the greater region of Samaria and even beyond that to the ends of the earth. That God's work is going to continue as he pours out his spirit into the lives of those who believe and trust and follow him. And what's really remarkable about verse 8, by the way, is it almost provides an outline. Not almost, it does provide an outline for the rest of Acts. The first seven chapters of the book of Acts take place primarily in Jerusalem. The disciples of Jesus sharing about him, witnessing about him in Jerusalem. In chapter 8, as Stephen has been persecuted, and, and because of the persecution, the believers are scattered. They move out into Judea and into Samaria. And we begin to hear stories of them sharing what they've seen and they've heard in Judea and in Samaria. And then you look past that into the mid-chapters of the book of Acts, and now the good news begins to spread beyond Judea and Samaria out into Asia and, and out into Europe eventually ending in Rome. And so verse eight tells us that there'll be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And, and that's what we see in the book of Acts. Luke is introducing us. He's orienting us to what's happening. Jesus began to do and teach these things. He changed lives. We see that in the gospel of Luke. And, and now his work is continuing through the empowering of his spirit in the lives of his people. And we see in these first eight verses, and we'll look a little further ahead through verse 14 in a moment, that there are some themes that show up that help us see what and understand what we'll see along the way in the book of Acts the rest of the time we're in it. Some of the key themes are the continuing of Jesus' work. What began and what's shared about in Luke's gospel, what began in Nazareth, a baby born in Bethlehem, uh, a Jesus who traveled and shared and worked miracles and saved and redeemed and died on a cross and rose again. What he began to do and teach continues in the life of his people. There's a key word here. The word is witness. That word occurs no less than 39 times in the entire book of Acts. It's a word that we translate our word martyr from, but it simply is this word that describes someone who simply tells what they've seen and what they've heard. That's what a witness is. That's still the case, right? You, you stumble witness into court or you have a witness at your, your wedding ceremony or you have a, a witness of an accident and you need their report for the insurance agent. It's someone who just simply saw it, they heard it, they observed it, and they're gonna share what they've seen and what they've heard. And that's what... We read here in the, in, in the book of Acts, almost called it the gospel of Acts. The book of Acts is that his people continue to share what they've seen and what they've heard. It's the continuing work of Jesus. 
Jesus shares who God is. He helps people get introduced to him. And now those who follow Jesus get to share with others what he has done for them and the transformation that's taken place in their life. They tell what they've seen and what they've heard. They're continuing on what Jesus had said they do. Think back to Matthew chapter 28, words that preceded this. Jesus gathers them together and he tells them, he says, I want you to go into all the world and I want you to make disciples of all nations. I want you, my disciples, my learners, my apprentices, you who are trying to be like me, I want you to go into all the world and make other learners, apprentices, disciples of me by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I want you to introduce them to me that they might wanna be changed by me, that they might trust and follow me, placing their faith in me, being immersed and baptized into me. I'll fill them with my spirit. And then as they come to know me, guess what? I want you to walk alongside them. I want you to teach them everything that I've commanded you. Walk with people. Help them to see what it looks like to be my child, to live for me in this broken world. And the very same things affirmed here in Acts chapter one. You will be my witnesses. You will continue the work of Jesus in this world. And guess what unfolds in the rest of the book of Acts? His followers, not always the famous apostles, the famous disciples, people like Paul, but average people like you and my, like me, who are gifted and equipped and enabled and encouraged by God's spirit, who simply just keep telling people what they've seen and what they've heard. They tell people how Jesus has changed their life, how he's changed their values, their priorities, how he's stepped in and given them a whole new purpose for which to live. And it just continues in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, a story that you and I are still a part of. So it's a continuation of Jesus' work. We see that theme in these early verses. Uh, we see the pivotal and prominent role of the Holy Spirit in these early verses. Just think about what we just read in those first eight verses. Verse two, Jesus teaches his disciples in the power of the Holy Spirit. He tells them in verses four and five that there's a gift that's coming from the Father, and by the way, that's the Holy Spirit. Verse eight, that they'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on them. We're just eight verses in to the book of Acts, the story of God's continuing work in the power of Jesus through his people. And we've already heard about the Holy Spirit three times. And guess what will continue throughout the book of Acts? We'll hear about the Holy Spirit again and again and again and again. He's a pivotal player in the book of Acts. And he should be a pivotal player in the story of God's people even today. We're actually gonna spend a whole month, mid-October through Thanksgiving, uh, looking at the Holy Spirit. We've got a series during that time called Ghost Stories because some people have called the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost and just see how he works and how he moves and how he empowers, enables, and equips us. But there's more here. We see a theme of waiting. Jesus says to the disciples, wait. Wait here in Jerusalem. We see the disciples waiting in the upper room, verses 13 and 14, not just the disciples, but we see that Mary and the women, Luke told us who the women were. Uh, he tells us in Luke chapter eight that among the women were Mary Magdalene and, and others. And he says the women, he refers to them again here. They're gathered in the upper room with the disciples and some of Jesus' family and uh, they're, they're praying, they're waiting. We'll see a man in John chapter four, John Acts chapter four, who's waiting at the gate called Beautiful. 
for someone to minister to him on the way to the temple. If you read that story, it's incredible. The man asks Peter and John for money and they tell him silver and gold we do not have, but what we do have we'll give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. And that man who is waiting is healed and begins to witness and tell about what he's seen and what he's heard. We'll find Peter and John then waiting in jail because of what they had just done. We'll find people waiting for Peter to get out of jail. We'll find people waiting around the world for the gospel to come to them. We'll find people waiting in prisons. We'll find Paul waiting to go to Rome and then waiting imprisoned in Rome to have the chance to go before Caesar. And that's just the beginning. People waiting. In every place we find people waiting in the book of Acts, it gives an opportunity for them to trust and follow Jesus even when life is hard. But there's more than that. Another theme that shows up here in these early verses is, is the intentional um, practice of spiritual disciplines. The people are intentionally involved in spiritual practices. You see it here in chapter one and verse 14. What do the people do while they wait? Jesus has ascended to heaven. Life has changed. Life is hard. And so what are the people doing? It says they all join together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They pray. Fast forward to Acts chapter two. What is the early church doing? They commit themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Uh, They share with one another. They're generous with one another. We see them serve alongside one another. These spiritual disciplines we've talked about here before. We even mentioned some of them last week. We see in the life of the early church and it helps them stay connected to their God, to stay in tune with the Holy Spirit, to continue the work of Jesus even while they wait. And these themes occur again and again and again. So Luke is orienting us to who God is and what he's still doing. So how does this link up with us? It's really interesting. The the book of Acts ends in a pretty compelling way. Uh, Luke, who in his gospel has told an orderly account, who has chronicled great details and and tried to order the events of Jesus' life in, in, in a beautiful order, He then writes the book of Acts and he has this great record of Paul's journeys and travels and healings and people being saved. And this guy who's known for his order, this guy who's known for his structure, uh, ends the book of Acts suddenly. Like we have all this anticipation. Paul's going to Rome. He's he's gonna go appear before Caesar and then uh, nothing else follows. And it's just as though people say that the Spirit was leading Luke to do that so we could see that we're part of the finish to the story that's beginning through Jesus and through his people in Acts. Well, you and I see that he still wants to continue the work of Jesus through us. That when Jesus called them to be his witnesses, that he was also calling us to be his witnesses. That he was calling us to share what we have seen and what we've heard. That he knew that we would be living in 